This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Welcome to Plated Earth, where we share at least a fraction of the crazy, wonderful, and insightful stories of produce. I'm your host, JJ. Plated Earth is also the official podcast of the Specialty Produce app. Please show your support for us and Specialty Produce by downloading the app and exploring one of the globe's most comprehensive fresh food databases. So what's on our plate today? Today we are sharing the story of Medlar. scratching your head at this week's topic, you're not alone. Although the medlar was once widespread in Europe during the Middle Ages, it has since slipped into near obscurity, and in the United States, medlar has hardly been known at all. But if we were to jump back in time about a century ago, you'd probably be rounding off your dinner with a nice glass of port and a few medlar fruits, scooping the flesh right out of the skin with a spoon. Before we take a look at its history of ups and downs, we need to know, what exactly is this unique forgotten fruit? Medlar is a member of the Rose family and is a close relative of the Loquat. Just like a few other relatives in the family, aka pears, apples, and quince, the medlar is considered a palm fruit, which are defined by their structure. They have a core with some small seeds, surrounded by a tough membrane, which is housed in the center of edible flesh. Medlars were famously described by J.C. Woodford in his 1939 publication, The Gardener's Chronicle, as a crabby-looking, brownish-green, truncated little spheroid of unsympathetic appearance. They basically look like a large, fuzzy brown rosehip, or a withered russet apple. They're rough, leathery, stubby, rounded fruits, about one to two inches in diameter, and they ripen in the fall from a yellow to rusty brown. Opposite their stem end are long, somewhat protruding sepals, collectively called the calyx, which gives the fruit an almost hollow look. The medlar tree itself is actually a large, self-pollinating, deciduous shrub that has a habit of spreading and requires some pruning. It flowers late, making it practically immune to frost damage, developing large, white or slightly pink blossoms in the spring that look like wild roses and closely resemble their cousin, the pear tree. Those blossoms later mature into the small, round fruits. And medlars are actually rock-hard when harvested, and the flesh is simply unpalatable even though, physiologically speaking, the fruit is ripe. Hence, medlar fruit must go through an over-ripening process called bledding. Simply put, you keep the fruit until it turns soft. The term bledding is lifted straight from the French blettir to make soft. Pretty straightforward. Bledding can occur on the trees after frost, but typically it is done through harvesting at their natural ripening stage— and then storing them in a cool place, with their stalk end facing up until they are essentially entering the first stage of decay. This process converts starch to sugar and reduces the acid and tannin levels of the fruit dramatically. At this stage, the brown flesh is soft and sweet, with the flavor and texture of a spicy baked apple. Some also compare it to apple butter, applesauce with cinnamon and whiny overtones, or overripe dates. Embedded in the flesh are five large seeds. Once blooded, medlars can be eaten raw on their own. Simply peel the skin and scoop or suck out the soft pulp, discarding the seeds. They can also be prepared in sweet applications like tarts, pies, and cakes. They make a rich fruit jelly or jam, which pairs well with hearty, salty cheeses, blue cheese, and cured meats. The pulp is traditionally folded into cream and sugar to be eaten as an accompaniment to port or other after-dinner drinks, as it was considered good for digestion, and so was eaten at the end of a meal. 
A Victorian-era preparation of the medlar, known as medlar cheese, is a curd-style fruit cheese prepared by boiling the medlar fruits, combining with sugar and allspice, and then pressed and chilled in small molds. This recipe was included in the 19th century publication, The Encyclopedia of Practical Cookery. Believe it or not, there are a number of medlar varieties. Fruits are most commonly harvested from wild medlars, but a small number of cultivated varieties exist, prominently in their native land in Turkey, and a few cultivars are being collected and preserved, such as at Brogdale Collections in the UK. The most recognizable examples of named varieties of the medlar include Dutch, Royal, Seedless, and the Nottingham. Nottingham is also simply called the common medlar, maybe the oldest variety, and is also the most widely available, as far as this rare fruit goes anyway. Finding any medlar will be tricky, though, as they are no longer grown commercially. Best bet is to plant your own or find a wild tree. They can still be found growing wild in hedge groves and woodland, and even some villages and public spaces in the south of England. Despite there being cultivated varieties, medlar fruits are mostly unimproved over the past hundreds of years, so they truly are an ancient fruit with a long history of medicinal and food uses. Medlars are native to Asia Minor, aka present-day Turkey, and other regions east of the Mediterranean, and they are thought to have been first cultivated near the Caspian Sea around 1000 BCE at the start of the 10th century, and also in Greece before the 5th century BCE. They were presumably grown by the Assyrians and Babylonians, and later the Greeks and Romans, who are generally attributed with introducing the fruit into Central Europe during the Roman occupation. By the 2nd century CE, medlars were likely being cultivated in many parts of Europe, and when Charlemagne controlled Western Europe in the 9th century CE, he ordered medlars to be planted across his empire. Medlars quickly established themselves in medieval English orchards, reaching peak production in the 17th century. They were especially important during winter in the Middle Ages as they stored well and ripened a while after picking. Remember that blooding process? It proved to be a beloved wintertime sweet treat before the arrival of sugar. Medlars were also important in folk medicine in the Middle Ages. As I mentioned, they were thought to be good for digestion, and blooded pulp or syrup was used as a remedy for intestinal disorders and treating kidney and bladder stones. It was also said to have the ability to strengthen memory. Ironic, as the fruit is now seemingly forgotten. Science hasn't quite vetted any of these medicinal claims, and there's little modern information about the medlar's nutritional value, other than that the fruits are rich in sugars and are potentially a good source of potassium. So what happened to this medieval favorite fruit? Why did it fall off the radar? Well, medlar is not well-suited for commercial markets, and so it kind of naturally fell out of favor after the Industrial Revolution. The tricky harvesting process didn't help, as this winter fruit was recommended for harvesting at the first frost, that requires patience and time, and then you can't eat it until it is blooded, so more patience and time, which was no longer viewed as an asset, but rather a hindrance. Even though the fruit itself is hard to find, it has been preserved in a rich history of literary references, including Chaucer, Cervantes, Shakespeare, Nabokov, and D.H. Lawrence. Some references play on the blooding process, with the medlar being used as a symbol of rottenness, some praising of the fruit's sweet taste and beautiful flowers, and others, well... Let's just say that the medlar has perhaps most famously been used as an illusion for obscene or even lewd acts and images, going back to the unique appearance of the calyx on the fruit. One such illusion comes from a few lines in Romeo and Juliet. I definitely didn't catch any of that when I was studying Shakespeare. And no, I'm not going to read it now. I'll let you look that up on your own if you wish. The fruit's exterior earned it an unfortunate English folk name quite early on, dating back to the year 1000 CE. In fact, it seems like the colloquial term was more prevalent than the name medlar. What was the folk name? 
pardon my French, but Chaucer, Shakespeare, other early Elizabethan playwrights, and just people the world over, have referred to the medlar as the open arse fruit. In France, they've called it the dog's bottom, although the translation is normally more vulgar, but I think I've said enough. And so, the medlar will live on at least in name, with its reputation saved in words of some of the most legendary authors. And while medlar probably doesn't have much of a future as a commercial crop, home gardens and small collections can keep it on the map. It is an attractive, adaptable plant with rare, tasty fruits, and if modern studies can learn more about its potential medicinal values, who knows? Maybe a revival of popularity outside the history books is possible. After all, food is a persistent element of human culture, and a powerful one at that. Well, folks, that concludes this week's episode. Be sure to follow at Specially Produce App on Instagram for some amazing produce photos. And while you're on there, give us a follow at Plated Earth. As always, you can find more information, recipe ideas, and local market shares on the Specialty Produce app. Tune in next time for more food fables. And remember, cauliflower is nothing but a cabbage with a college education. We'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.